I'm Viv Groskop, comedian, journalist, presenter, author and all-round incredibly busy person who is far too rushed to stop for even a nanosecond. And this is We Are Women. We Are Women is the Mint Velvet podcast. It's all about the experience of being a woman. You can get in touch via the Mint Velvet Facebook page or follow at Mint Velvet on Twitter and Instagram. Today, we're talking about time out. Time out from stress, from family, from your usual routines and even your usual self. Why it matters, why it's so hard to do, especially for me, and how we might get better at it. Talking of taking a break from the norm, this episode will feature our very first male guest, Robert Webb. Why won't these girls go out with me? Why don't they fancy me? What's wrong with my white leather tie that I insist on wearing to parties? They lack the imagination to find me attractive. That's all fairly typical, I think. From Petra Velzebor. I'm always fighting through and feeling like action is the way to survive. When I would stop, that's when the anxiety feelings would come up. So I'm like, the solution, obviously, is to never stop. And from Gronya Maguire. To be creative, it's two things. There's the craft part that you work and work and work, but then you also need to create space for the subconscious and you need both. So let's crack on with introducing our studio guests. Gronya Maguire is a comedian, an actor and a writer. Behind the scenes, her comedy writing fuels the power of pretty much every TV or radio panel show you care to mention. And in front of the scenes, as it were, she's often found performing her own stand-up to sold-out audiences at the Edinburgh Fringe and beyond, as well as running the podcast What Has the News Ever Done For Me? Petra Velzebor is a mental health consultant, executive coach, psychotherapist, and of course, also a podcast host. Her podcast is called Adversity to Advantage, and it's informed, like much of her work, I suspect, by her quite incredible start in life, growing up with no education inside a religious cult. Wow. Welcome, Petra. Welcome, Gronya. Hi, um, Petra, I'm going to come straight to you because oh. we can't say religious cult, no education, without bringing you straight in to explain that and how it affects your life. I've heard that you uh, describe your experience as being the worst start in life, but also the best. Can you tell us a bit about that? Absolutely. So uh, the religious cult is infamously known as the children of God. Um, they believed in free love, lots of traveling and no education for their children. Um, it sounds great. Well, <laughs> some people say that. They think living off grid and getting away from the nine to five just seems ideal. But there's this funny generational thing when our parents want to do something completely different and then we go completely the opposite direction. Um the worst start because of what I just described, it's sort of when you're a teenager, you suddenly want to fit in with the real world and realize you have no tools or resources to translate your experience into creating a career. Um, the best start, because now that I understand resilience and building character and I've experienced my own rock bottoms of, of feeling suicidal sort of uh, 12 years ago, um, I realized that it's from those points that you can actually build into a powerful, empowered human being that creates the impact and lives 
lives to your potential. Wow, we've gone quite heavy quite early on today. That's what I'm known for. Yes, we are. I thought we might with you, Petra. That's great. Well, as we were talking about time out uh, today, I want to talk about this idea of time out from the self. So is that something that you identify with, that maybe you'd like to take time out from having to explain to people what it means to grow up in a cult? Well, I am divorced for the last two years, so dating and the amount of times I have to explain, you know, who I am and what it means to the curious listeners um, who just want to understand me. And I'm just like, oh, please, p- please be as interesting as I am, um, is, is all I sort of <laughs> um, am looking for. Uh, Petra, not to be flippant about your experience, but I've always thought, I'd be perfect material for a cult because I think you spend years like trying to get a mortgage, trying to have a family, trying to do all these things. And I just thought if you could just consolidate it, join a cult. Get a team behind you. Exactly. Sure. I think it would take me about a weekend because I'd be watching <laughs> Love Island. They fall in love quick. So I think it would be a similar thing with me in a cult. Ronya, you are an Irish woman yes. abroad. How do you feel about having to own that as a self? And do you want to have time out from it sometime? Growing up, I felt like there was this sort of like Irish personality that you have to be sort of very loud and very confident. And I have always been quite like more sort of a thinker because I think I'm naturally a more of an introvert. And I really love and value not speaking to anybody, just some time to sort of recharge my batteries. And I think that's why I loved moving to London. I love the anonymity and I loved the whole idea of sort of finding myself in a city and finding my comedy voice in a city where I didn't feel like I had the same, there was the same expectations. If we take time out very literally, Gronya, do you relax easily? Do you find it easy to take time off to take holidays? Um, because I'm self-employed, I find booking holidays really, really difficult because I never really know what way I'm going to work. But I know the symptoms of when I feel exhausted. I call them my, <laughs> I call them my Diana end of days mood. <laughs> What does that mean? So my Princess Diana end of day's mood is when um, (laughs) (laughs) I feel like really paranoid. I'm convinced everybody's out to get me. I imagine myself like looking out a window, smoking a cigarette, (laughs) going like, all right, who's who's, who's stabbing me in the back? So that's when I know I need some time out. I'll say. Um, My favourite thing in the world is I'm a member of the Royal Palaces and I've got an art card. I just love going by myself. I have to be by myself to like a museum or a historic building. It just feels like I'm nurturing myself and it feels like I'm just like fertilising my brain and I'm just getting lost in another world where it's got nothing to do with like career or work, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like in Tudor England for the day. And Petra, how about you? How do you relax? I will say it's difficult when you grew up the way I did but also when you've got to kind of play catch up and do your education and raise kids and do everything sort of as an adult um, I definitely have a strong fight or flight response so mine is not flight I run nowhere but it's fight so I'm always fighting through and feeling like action is the way to survive Um, and interestingly when I would stop a few years ago that's when the anxiety feelings would come up so I'm like the solution obviously is to never stop 
right? Until you get some of those symptoms, I wouldn't quite say the Diana thing, but um, <laughs> some of the sort of crash and burn symptoms. So you have enough burnouts and then you go, oh, what prevention should I put in place in order to look after myself? I'm an extrovert, so I like going for coffees with people and connecting with people. London is such a fractured sort of lonely city that that's one of the ways that I um, sort of take time out is connection and, and talking with people and just having fun. As a parent, how do you find time out from parenting? I've had to learn. I don't lead by example in taking time out. I'm just creating action machines that will hit burnout as well. Oh, no, I'm creating action machines. I <laughs> right. thought that was a good thing to do. We've got to teach them to learn to be. It's still my hardest lesson. We're human beings, not human doings. Yeah, but I want my children <laughs> well to find the cure for cancer. Come on, otherwise no tea. They only find the cure for cancer. You have to think... To be creative, it's two things. There's the craft part that you work and work and work. But then you also need to create space for the subconscious, for ideas to just float in. And you you need both together to come up with the really good stuff. Wow, this is deep. This is deep. I'm going to be changed by this, this an podcast. Intervention. So we like to ask us a question at the beginning of the show and then give them some time to think about this. So I'm going to land you with something and then you've just got you've got time to think so you don't have to reply now. I'll ask you at the end. What aspect of yourself would you most like to take a break from? I'll just leave that hanging there. And while you're pondering, let me tell listeners that if their idea of time out includes a spot of relaxing retail therapy, then just pop along to the Mint Velvet website where the new arrivals section has some rather good distractions from the daily grind. I think the new arrivals section on my website is worn out because I go to it so often. (laughs) Our interview with Robert Webb is coming up shortly. But before that, I want to talk about something which always comes up in conversation about taking a break the phone and all the pressures and distractions it represents. A survey of 4,150 British adults by Deloitte last year found that 38% of us think we use our smartphones too much. 79% check apps in the hour before going to sleep and 55% check the phone within 15 minutes of waking up. This is a portrait of me, I'm ashamed to say. (laughs) Gronya, are you also guilty as charged? Yes. Um, (laughs) I cannot go to sleep unless I'm listening to a podcast. Obviously, it's not good. And I try to, especially if I'm writing or trying to get into a different headspace, I'll put my phone on airplane mode. And when I'm with my family or my friends, I always just leave it at home. And I just find it really liberating, just like not having to think about it. Simon Cowell, no less, has apparently not used his phone for 10 months That's serious power play, isn't it? He says the difference it made was that I became more aware of the people around me and way more focused. I think a lot of that is just pure privilege. Like, I would love to be like, oh, Hatton, I don't even use a phone anymore. I don't think it's a sign that he's got to this level of zen. We'd all love to live without our phones. Yeah, presumably he has a minion who just answers his phone for him. That is not really not using your phone. It's just like having a human person being your human phone he probably it? checks the person who checks his phone <laughs> five times a day so he's not bloody Deepak Chakra or whatever his name is <laughs> Petra I want to be like Simon Cowell in so many ways um, and I hate my phone and I would love to not use it for 10 months but I feel I need it so what can I do 
I think the main thing is trying to make conscious decisions about your usage, because if you don't, you'll be in that reactive state where it's just always there and it becomes an addiction. So almost taking a minute to to decide what are the things that are important to me to stay in touch with? What are the bits as far as work that I need to stay connected to? And choosing the time slots that you allow that to happen. That way you don't miss out on anything, but equally you have some some say in, in how it's using you. This is a big moment for We Are Women. I'm about to introduce our very first male guest. Don't worry, we're still going to be all about being a woman, but that does often include men, and so we felt it was time to hear a bit, but perhaps not too much, from them. So I'm now joined down the line from Newcastle by a really top-notch man, plucked from thousands of hopefuls, desperate to be our first male guest. He is the hugely successful, multiple award-winning comedian, actor and writer Robert Webb. He's perhaps best known for his hugely successful Channel 4 sitcom Peep Show or the hugely successful BBC sketch show That Mitchell and Webb Look or, let's face it, literally hundreds of thousands of other dazzling achievements, many of them as part of a double act with David Mitchell. And his very funny and very raw memoir, How Not to Be a Boy, is out in paperback now. Welcome, Robert Webb. Hello, thank you very much for having me. I'm extremely honoured. You are honoured. You are the first man we have ever had on this show. Do you think that you're a good choice for this accolade? I'm hoping to set the bar very low um, so that, you know, other men won't be intimidated in the future. Excellent. Good. That, that's a good aim. I have to say, I loved reciting your list of amazing achievements there. But for me, your greatest achievement is as the dancer of Flashdance. Yeah. We all know that that's when I peaked. And the rest of it since then has just been my trying to manage a, a decline in a dignified or semi-dignified way. Yes, if you, I would encourage people to look that off on, on YouTube, by the way. The comic relief Flashdance with Robert Webb. It's fabulous. Now, How Not to Be a Boy is about your life. Mm. But it is also an exploration of masculinity. It covers those two areas. Was it always going to be about both those things or was it originally a memoir? Do you know, you'd think I'd have a good answer to this by now. I mean, it, they, they sort of both sort of happened at the same time. On the one hand, I, I thought I had a good story to tell, a sort of mixture of um, very typical things like, you know, being a teenager and why won't these girls go out with me? Why don't they fancy me? What's wrong with my red and grey ski jacket? What's wrong with my white leather tie that I insist on wearing to parties? <laughs> they lack the imagination to find me attractive. That's all fairly typical, I think. I'm picturing you on your white leather tie, by the way. I hope you're wearing it now. Oh, it was a thing of beauty. Well, well, that was for special parties. The rest of the time, it'd be my piano tie. Are you saying that this isn't a special party? Uh, I'm not. I'm not wearing it now. No, because it's just, this. This Got party it. is too special. Okay. Okay. This will be. I'm wearing my. <laughs> this is my red leather tie. Or my piano <laughs> keyboard tie. Anyway, um, but I'd also written a few things about uh, gender and masculinity, and and I thought that that would be a good way to approach that would be through a memoir because that's where it starts. It starts in childhood. You use the phrase emotional detective. Yeah. Can you talk a bit more about what that means to you and how it relates to your experience? Well, I mean, I play most of the the stuff for laughs in the early chapters about how I was no good at following those rules of being a boy, about how you're supposed to be running and jumping and football and cricket and climbing trees and being boisterous and, you know, I was completely mute and a a complete physical coward. I found all that quite a tough fit. But the more serious side to it is the stuff about emotional repression, the stuff about man up, be a man. If you've got a problem, if you're experiencing some unwanted emotion, then you shrug it off, you ignore it, you pretend it's not happening, you bottle it up. 
and all that stuff. And it seems to me that those emotions have to come out somewhere. And quite often with men, they come out as anger. So you get a bunch of people who get angry when what they're actually feeling is fear, or they get angry when they're embarrassed, or they get angry when they're anxious or in grief, because you just don't develop those skills of being your own emotional detective, of mm. finding out why you're feeling what you're feeling. And the more times you hear, you know, don't express those feelings, the more times it, it starts to sound like, don't feel those feelings. And I think that's a problem. If it's just me, then it's not a problem, because I don't live in the White House, and I don't work in the Kremlin, <laughs> and I'm not in charge of a major investment bank or a, or a world religion. Keeping it light on this podcast, yes. our theme for this time is time out. Oh. Are you horrified by the idea of having to take time off, or are you quite good at relaxing? Well, we, uh, yeah, we do have at least a couple of holidays. Uh, yeah, the, it's difficult to switch off, and you sort of have to. I tried meditation for a while, but then found that it was stressing me out because I was kind of going... Oh, Jesus, it's 11 o'clock and I haven't meditated. Bloody hell. I've got, now I've got a 10 minutes meditation. Uh, so I, I realise that me and meditation maybe just don't go. <laughs> that sounds very much like an impression of your comedy partner there, by the way. <laughs> Since the book's come out, you must have done dozens of interviews like this and you've had to tell and retell some extremely personal, intimate, harrowing stories, such as the moment when you heard your mum's condition was terminal, which yeah. was heartbreaking. Has that experience been cathartic for you? Or I know, speaking of someone who's written a memoir, that mentioned my own family as well. Sometimes you mm. talk about these things, it almost feels like a betrayal. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a way, I feel shy to talk about this in front of readers because, you know, it makes it feel like the whole thing was an exercise in self-therapizing. Really, it's a very outward-facing book, and, it's, and particularly the grief elements of it are there to reach out to other people who've lost people, which is almost everyone. But yes, I'm happy to admit that there was a sort of collateral benefit for me personally that, that that framing those events in my own way and in my own words had a certain if you like satisfaction to it so it, it was a good thing in terms of betrayal I mean the the major living people who are in the book all saw an early draft of the book and they just came back with a lot of double thumbs up and uh, everyone was very supportive and as for the dead people as it happens I don't believe in an afterlife and even if I did I I would hope that my father's got better things to do than than to be indignant about the way I truthfully <laughs> portrayed his behavior in the 1970s <laughs> well I think you tread that line between the personal and the universal very beautifully Thank you. now when you talk about your father you're always very careful to make clear that the way he behaved towards his young family was not remotely unusual mm. for the time and place. Why is that impression so important to you? Oh, because I don't want people to think that, that he was some kind of monster. I mean, what he did, what, I mean, it's a tricky thing to talk about because if, the correct word for the, his behaviour was abusive, I suppose. And the idea of me, mm. you know, doing that to my girls when they step out of line is just ridiculous. It's just, it's an idea from space. But of course, at the time, that was an entirely acceptable way of going about disciplining your children. You mentioned your girls. How has your thinking about masculinity informed your own experience of parenthood. 
I suppose in terms of the, the options that we lay out for them, they're into karate and football, but we never try to ban the colour pink. We never stopped them dressing up as princesses if they wanted to. But we also made sure there's plenty of Lego around, but also uh, my youngest one is really into dancing and wants to do ballet. So, you know, it was it was just a question of laying out as many of those options as we could. Mm. Obviously, I'm sure no one in your household is allowed to get hold of your white leather tie. No. That is sacred. Indeed. Um, you have said as well that the law of your mum emboldened you. Do you think you would have had the career that you have now if that hadn't happened? Oh, blimey. I mean, that's I know some... that's such a horrible question to ask. No, I know, but that's that's fair enough. And I and I do ask it in the book actually. I mean, there was a slight, there was a time when I crazily could sort of think my way into this kind of world of silver linings, and that you know that was a way of making sense of this sort of central loss. I do think there was a sort of uh, I was seventeen, and there was a sort of romantic teenage kind of, okay, the worst thing that could possibly have happened to me has just happened to me. Of course it hadn't. You know, I still had two arms and two legs. and I, but, it, but anyway, it felt like such a massive deal that now, okay, come on, universe, there's nothing you can throw at me now. And, it, and it, it, you know, it did embolden me in terms of not worrying about being rejected from some posh university because that would not be a big deal compared to what I'd gone through. There again, I do think you can overdo it with that kind of Nietzschean, you know, whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger stuff i'm not sure if it did make me stronger i think damage damages people i don't think it made me stronger it made me weirder i think it made me more prone to being suspicious of commitment i think it did all kinds of things that were not positive but of course when you when just after you've gone through something like that you are determined to try and make something good out of it find some meaning in it My thanks to Robert Webb. Seeing as he was talking there very movingly about his past and how it shaped him, uh, this does seem a good time to come back to the question I asked at the beginning of the podcast. What's the aspect of yourself you'd most like to take a break from? I'm just trying to think what mine is. I think mine is being nice to people all the time. Yeah. Gronya knows me and she's looking at me like, like. Gronya's like, you're not that nice to people all the time. You don't need to take a break from that. No, I always feel like uh, I I don't always say exactly what I want to say. And I'd like to take a break from that, definitely. Gronya, what's yours? I, um, I'm quite in the, I've got a lot of nervous energy. You have. And um, I am quite hard on myself and I work a lot and I think if I could change one part of myself, um, I would like to feel sort of more gratitude and serenity and to just appreciate my life for what it is and not always be striving and anxious about like, but what next? What next? So I think if I could just have more gratitude, I think I'll be a lot happier. You're great as you are, Ronya. You? You're great as your Aww. wild, crazy, nervous energy self. Petra, how about you? What aspect of yourself would you like to take a break from? The thing I'm learning to take a break from, but I'd like to take a break from more often, is seriousness. Um, you know, connected to that working and like it all matters so much. And it's if, you know, I've got to be taking these next steps and um, driving forward. And I do and I love that and I love all the work that I do. But I want to introduce more playfulness that isn't scheduled. <laughs> scheduled playfulness on a Wednesday night. Um, so, yeah, take a break from seriousness, introduce more playfulness. A lot of the power of Robert's book comes from the way he confronts his past. 
past in a very brave way rather than avoiding it. Do you think there's an important difference between taking time out and avoiding or escaping things. I'm thinking of myself here because I remember one time I said to my therapist, I've realised that all I need to do is just listen to music more often and listen to it really loudly to drown out all of the negative thoughts. (laughs) My therapist said, no, I don't think that's going to be the answer. So, yeah, how do we sort of draw this line between avoidance and actually properly relaxing? Completely. People avoid through Netflix, the news, uh, online dating. Yeah, numbing. Um, yes, the numbing, numbing Yeah, mm. um, addiction. Um, there's so much avoidance. I mean, I am a recovering alcoholic, so I'm uh, 10 years sober. So I know firsthand what escapism looks like and feels like and also the consequences of it. And it can feel pretty light sometimes. And we all need a little bit of, you know, going shopping or doing a bit of that. Um, but when it begins to have negative consequences, it sort of builds up over time time. Time out to me is healthy and it's doing things that nurture our soul. So whether that's being in a different uh, beautiful location, whether that's looking after our mind and our body through, through exercise or sex or sport or things that just make us feel good, um, that's what I would uh, sort of put down as a time out. Um, connecting with people that are important to us is a crucial one for me. People that you can be your whole self with uh, and say anything to, uh, those are really healthy ways to take time out. Mm, Gronia, the complete reverse of that. Do you think we're sometimes too quick uh, to give ourselves a break? Is there something to be said for not taking time out but pushing on through to get to the result? You know, you're going to be at Edinburgh this this summer and that's sort of 26 days of... Every single day you get on, you do your show, you push through. It is. But I think you, I think it's, I think the language you use is really important. I don't want to be pushing through like, I shall endure this. I will break this festival. God, this sounds very morbid. We don't know how every day could be our last. So I think it's really important. And I say this to myself as much to you gals is to joyous like it should be a joyful thing Mm. so I think like especially during Edinburgh I want to make sure that I take time out every day to do something that is for me that's got nothing to a comedy that's nothing to do at work that nurtures me you might also take time out from something I know you've done in the past and that is to live tweet your menstrual cycle. <laughs> um, that's something that you've been doing on Twitter that became quite a big thing. Yeah. Why did you want to do it? Okay, so this is an interesting example of where the best ideas come from. Because at the time, uh, abortion was illegal in Ireland and I really wanted, because I'm a comedian, I was like, well, how can I make a difference Um, through comedy? There must be a way to point out the hypocrisy of the state being involved in something so private. And I was like, thinking, thinking, thinking. And then just one day, the idea popped, fully formed in my head. And I just was like, I'll live tweet my menstrual cycle to the Irish Prime Minister. And... um, Lots of other women connected to that idea and then it became this like global thing for a week and a half. And that's, I think, is an example of when you take time out, you stop thinking about something, then the idea just will arrive. I call it, you have to leave your idea out for the elves. So think of the elves and the shoemaker. The shoemaker was making all his leather stuff and then he went to bed and the elves made the shoes. (laughs) So you work really hard and you leave the leather out 
and then the elves make it. The elves made you tweet the Irish Prime Minister about your period. Exactly. Genius. <laughs> I like how I'm learning about playfulness just through this podcast. <laughs> I love that. It's, it's this idea of the power of the unexpected. Petra, tell us about your notion of disruptive questions, because I think that links in with this as well, doesn't it? How can they be useful? We get into routines and habits within our lives. As a, as a coach, that would be my role, is to help people uh, think about disruptive questions, just to challenge their way of thinking. And what's a disruptive question? What if I could do my 10-year plan in six months? What if... Uh, Whoa, mind right, blown! Right, there's Tim Ferriss actually does this thing where what if you had a gun to your head and you absolutely had to figure out dot, 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 whatever it might be. So in this context, what if you had a gun to your head and had to figure out the exact balance for your life? It's about changing the perspective on your life and seeing what's possible. Because the amount of people that are like, well, I've tried that, or I can't do that, or I can't do that thing, and uh, time out is this, and it's only this, right? Mm. And it's kind of going, well, what else could it be? What else? And like one of my key questions as a coach is what else? 20 times. Because then you get to like a deeper layer, a deeper layer, like, or what do you really want? What do you really want? What do you really want? And what else do you want? You know, just to allow people to think in a bigger way. And the impact people then can create and the fulfillment that they can experience is just uh, astronomical. You're such a great co coach and mentor. I'm going to use you for free on myself right now. Let's do it. One of the most stressful things in my life is this big build-up to the Edinburgh Fringe. Psychologically, it's very difficult because you're comparing yourself to lots of other people. There are 3,000 other shows. You're being evaluated because you're waiting for reviews or maybe you're not being reviewed, which can sometimes be even worse. I mean, and I know that for lots of people, that's an unusual experience, but I think it's transferable to lots of areas of life where you suddenly have really high pressure moments where you've absolutely got to perform. What's your advice on how to cope with that and how to shut out some of the ideas of comparison and pressure that you put on yourself? When you're in it, you're in a fight or flight reactive state because you just have your adrenaline's pumping and you just have to perform. So when's the Edinburgh Fringe? August. So you've got time. There's time. <laughs> the, the best way to do it is around preventative measures. So building up your, your mindset and your resilience in the lead up rather than just relying in the time frame. So Insight Timer is an excellent app for getting some meditation on. Um, and it's, it's it free. Get a practice in, which could be five minutes a day of listening to something that creates space between your reactive self um, and how you choose to react in the moment. And your advice earlier about just doing one thing a day to look after yourself is excellent as well. That's great. Good thank luck, you. ladies. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's all for now. We'll be back next month. But in the meantime, do tweet at Mint Velvet or come to the Mint Velvet Facebook page and tell us your thoughts on the podcast. Do subscribe and please rate and review us. This month, a special mention to Sue from Kent, who says, I'm a very nervous flyer and I have found downloading and listening to these podcasts during a flight has really made a difference. It's great to hear different women talking about all sorts of topics. Congratulations. Well, congratulations to you, Sue, for conquering your fear of flying and very glad to hear we can help. My thanks to our guests, Gronya Maguire, Petra Velzebor and Robert Webb. We Are Women is a Whistledown production for Mint Velvet. The producer is Kate Taylor. I'm Viv Groskop. Thanks for listening and goodbye.